When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's Hey everybody, welcome to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. We are coming to you live, <laughs> not quite live, but it feels pretty like live. pretty live from the original BCC Clubhouse in a secret location beneath the hills of Hollywood, California. I'm your host, Michael McMillan, with me always and again for the first time in person. Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, master of the clubhouse himself. Riley Bray. Wow, boys. We are back together recording in the clubhouse yeah. for the first time in over two years. How does it feel, boys? <laughs> I just realized I'm I'm a little nervous. Normally we record on Zencaster and I have to like do like a vocal tick or fart or burp. I just hit silent, but now we're in <laughs> Riley's full command. So this is this feels unedited, but oh so right. We're celebrating. I mean, should we get into it? I mean, absolutely we should get into it. Yes. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club episode two. Can you believe it? Yeah. Unbelievable. It feels like just yesterday we were sitting in this very room recording episode 100 with our dear guest, Paul Shear. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I I can't believe just from meeting you guys before, like on episode two or three or whatever it was, that, you know, if you'd been like, what are you doing for the next five years? (laughs) Every week. Yeah. (laughs) I had a realization on the car ride over here. I was like, oh, huh. This is the only adult conversation I have a week. Like this is, <laughs> this is the one. Like it only happens one time a week. And everything else is just with my kids or my wife, bills and the mundane and the parent talk, which is the worst. And then, uh, but that's it. Other than that, it's I, no other conversations except 
podcasting with you guys where I get to actually talk about the stuff I really like talking about. I was going to say, by adult conversation, (laughs) you mean talking about space goblins. (laughs) That's also what crossed my mind. (laughs) And of course, you might be looking at your podcast app and going, but Michael... It says there's like 228 episodes. Well, that's because in the early days we had some bonus episodes right. that we didn't number. We dropped some uh, uh, episode unlocks from the other side. I said this in episode 100. I'll say it again for the new listeners. I'm a big comic book nerd. And when we started the show, I wanted to label the episodes as if they were comic book issues mm. and sometimes you would get an, an issue zero or a special or an annual that would not interrupt or sometimes i guess would actually interrupt the regular numbering so this is bcc 200 if you were collecting comic books this would be considered the 200th episode i trust that yeah <laughs> I, I, I you, you explained that to me once and i was just like uh, whatever you want to do great yeah. you I did start? try to you did try to renumber at one point i think when I we did. moved over to campfire and i was <laughs> yeah. like i was like first of all i can't go back and renumber all the uh instagram posts so no we just have to stick with the madness would i do it again have i started a second podcast where i don't number them at all yes <laughs> but but this this is how we do it because we're the collectors club and it's it's got it's a little nod to my own collecting history guys i'm here for it i'm here for it too you know what else our listeners are here for we're gonna celebrate bcc 200 in a big way by finishing up our three part series yeah on the ever mysterious and elusive men in black yep yep who knew this would be such a a meaty topic man i, I i'm i'm happy to jump into this boat with you you did <laughs> michael is raising his hand. his hand it's not yeah, a visual no, this, medium I'm, I'm digging the whole may in black thing man i i like it i like the men in black allure culture stories it feels like the sort of anthropomorphic outreach of the UFO phenomenon. That's oh, I like that. Yeah. Interesting. And actually, we're going to, I think we'll get into some of that. Mm. Um, speaking of anthropomorphizing the men in black, we are all dressed as men in black <laughs> for this record, <laughs> we <yeah>. should say. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. We got to show up. And uh, Michael tried to tried to get out of it, by the my, way. But my black we... suit's fitting a little snug. <laughs> but you know what? That's in character. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we were like, we've got to dress up as. Uh, Leaving the leaving the house tonight, uh, everybody's like, "Okay, so what gives?" Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm recording the 200th episode of the Bigfoot Collectors Club. Shut the door in your face. <laughs> okay, have fun. Bye. That's yeah. That's pretty much it. Back exactly. to Fortnite. <laughs> but yeah, this is a little special something for us. You know, it's episode 200. It's Men in Black. It bring, we're, the first time we're coming back together. It's like let's dress nice. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's, let's keep it classy. Good. Yeah, but we'll put on. You know, we're gonna drop some videos and some pics over on the Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club. Mm-hmm. So if you want to see what we're up to. While yeah. you're watching this, check it out. And and Riley's discovered that he a newfound taste for dressing in suits. Yeah, I think I wear suits now. I think is what I learned. Delicious is more like it. Yeah, Jeez. it looks good on you. Right, All right, I gotcha. We're back in the clubhouse. Should we do some quick clubhouse keeping before we kick off the festivities? Let's do it. Let's let me get the uh, paranormal Swiffer out. All right, Bryce. Why don't you? Uh, Remind people how they can celebrate. Yeah, well, the best way would be to celebrate 200 episodes of BCC with one of our many fine merch designs over on our Tee Public shop. Just click the link in the episode information or visit our Instagram 
at Bigfoot Collectors Club and click the link in our bio. That's right. And if you've been listening for a while and you haven't supported the show and we do need your support, please consider joining our Patreon, BCC The Other Side. For a $5 monthly pledge, you'll receive a minimum of three bonus episodes every month, including our Men in Black side visits we're doing this month to complement our May in Black event. If you really want to show your love, a $9 pledge makes you an ultra-terrestrial, unlocking a weekly cosmic track pulled from our soundtrack archive by Riley, as well as the occasional musical surprise. Mm-hmm. And don't forget my lengthy, rambling journal entries, That's right. <laughs> where That's... I either talk about my mortality or the concepts of synthesis. <laughs> it sort of jumps between the two. It cool, is. You're man. getting. You're not only getting an audio track. You are getting an entry in Riley's weekly it's journal. Good to That's have true. a platform, huh? That's nice. That's a nice lot spot. of unexpected text has come along with this <laughs> ultra terrestrial tier. They um, seem to be getting longer. Yeah, too. I, think, I think they're enjoying. It. Uh, also, we are quickly catching up with our episode count over there, by the way, not including Riley's Cosmic Scores. We have over 180 bonus episodes mm. waiting for you wow. on the other side. Yeah. There's a lot of content. And if you, if you include your tracks, we're at like 192. Amazing. So we're creeping up on 200 over there as well. And these are all unique episodes that you will not hear That's if you're a, not yeah, part yeah. of the other side. So this is, it is. It's an entire other show that we make. It's yeah. it's not just like little bonuses. This is a whole other show. Yeah, it's a whole other Bigfoot Collectors Club show. Yeah. Right, t- right. You know. It is this yeah. show, but it's a it's whole other layer. It's about car- cars. It's about collecting cars. <laughs> it's just a whole <laughs> it's other... A completely it's nothing show. to do <laughs> It's not with paranormal Bigfoot. at all. No, it's the parallel dimension of the Bigfoot Collectors Club. Only so one great. way to find out. Yeah. Um, well, another great way to support the show is by dropping us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and thus spreading the cosmic awareness of BCC to others. And if you do, we might read it on the air, like this one from Snaily, S N Maley, maybe Snail Maley, uh, Snail Maley. Mm, nice. It's a clever. It's like a name, license whatever. plate. Yeah, it's a very license yeah, plate. It's, it's a thinker. Point. Yeah, it's but when a... you get there, you feel a little rush of endorphins. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it, a tingle. Uh, BCC is down with me. If you're looking for a podcast that piques your curiosity gets those rusty wheels turning, and time warps you to a different dimension, all without judgment, and making you laugh along the way, look no further. Five stars. Five stars. Nice. Thank you. A lovely review. Snail maily. Yeah. Let's just inject that validation right into my veins. <laughs> Feels good, doesn't it? Every Fuck time. Yeah. Well, I love starting off the episode with a little positive reinforcement. Yeah. Bryce, if it. you're looking for positive reinforcement, I know our listeners, by the way, put away the dustpan now. We're done. Got it. I know our listeners are clamoring, just champing at the bit to jump into part three of MIB, but I thought it would be weird if we if we didn't celebrate two hundred episodes of BCC. You know, mm-hmm. uh, especially if we didn't do it without the big man himself. So I thought we'd kick off our anniversary episode with a special L file from a listener containing a possible Bigfoot vocalization. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we actually got this uh, sent to us yesterday. It's a Bigfoot encounter in Idlewild, California from listener Morgan Bryce. Why don't you disclose this L file? Sure will. Uh, possible Bigfoot vocals in Idlewild, California, dated May 5th, 2022. Lots of exclamation points. Hey, Bryce, Michael, and Riley. I have audio 
of possible Bigfoot vocals recorded just this Thursday. My name is Morgan, and I am reaching out to you because my wife and I had what we believe to be an encounter with a possible Bigfoot. It was just this past Thursday night in Idlewild, California. My wife and I are staying at an Airbnb up here in the mountains for our fifth wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Congratulations. We were out on the front balcony at around 8.15 p.m., and we started to hear dogs in the valley across northwest of us going crazy. And then we heard it, the first of two whoops. And as the dogs began to go nuts, we heard the loudest guttural howling. It shook us to the bone. I scrambled for my phone and began using the audio recorder on it, and we captured about 20 to 25 seconds of the howls. I have recorded it and have been obsessed with listening to it. I knew I had to report it, and you are the only ones I trust with it. Wow. I think you got us mistook. No, no, you got the right guys. You got the right guys. We're just sharing it with all of our listeners. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of Bigfoot Collectors Club and Expedition Bigfoot. Thank you so much. I need help. I've been obsessed with this and don't trust anyone else to take a look at it. This is crazy. Thanks, Morgan. Okay. Thank you, Morgan. Pretty cool. I also, Bryce, have you ever gotten obsessed with a single vocalization clip when you're out there on expedition bigfoot you're in that headquarters right and you're laying your head down in 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 your hammock at night are you playing some of those sounds over and over and going gosh what is this uh yeah i do like i do like listening to all the vocalizations uh do you have a vocalization track list I have a little something. You're I have like, a little this something. This one's Big Ed. Yeah, this no, I have Bertha. different. I have a different uh, data bank of different purported vocalizations. Really? Sure. Do you uh, have it like on your personal nothing Spotify? Nothing is as. Oh. <laughs> Do I have what? On like your personal Spotify. No, no, no. We'll put no, it on no. before bed. It's like, <clears throat> no, it has a Anytime you see Bryce it. with headphones walking around like in the gym, oh, yeah. he's God, on the treadmill no. running. <laughs> so if you could opposite. hear what he's playing, it's all Bigfoot no, vocalizations. No, no, so opposite from the truth. Uh, do not send me Bigfoot stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I love Bryce. Um, we literally just had someone send us Bigfoot vocalizations. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. No, um, absolutely. So back to this vocalization. Told, told them not to do what we want You're them the to do. the only one he trusts. No, yeah. it's true. It's true. No, let's take a listen. I'm excited here. To answer your question, the bulkiest stuff of uh, Bigfoot vocalizations was always the Sierra sounds. Right, but right. That was yeah. often more strange than... Than Bigfoot uh, whoops or howls, yeah. but I'm curious to to hear this. Okay, all right. Well, let's check it out. Roll that beautiful Bigfoot vocalization, Riley. Here we go. Oh yeah. Let's play it one more time yeah. and play that first part. Yeah, up yeah. at the top is where up you hear it. Yeah, you really, really hear, hear it. Now, yeah. we're probably some of you guys might be distracted by frogs who are playing in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and some hiss, but I'm going to I'm going to do my best to uh scrub the audio on this on this go round and and we can get a little more clarity on it. But very clearly off in the distance yeah. you can hear something oh, wild. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Let's play it one more time. All right.
Yeah, like three repeating. Then again. Yeah. It's pretty good. Wild. Yeah, I'm reminded of like if you've ever been to Disneyland, you remember screaming by the old Yeti at the oh, Matterhorn. Do I and, remember? And I just did it last week, effect. and I still have whiplash. <laughs> Guys, I have an update for you. Don't ride the Matterhorn anymore; it will break your back. <laughs> but Forgot man, to grease it's the great. tracks lately, huh? Yeah, it but, sounds right? exactly like the Yeti yeah. and the Matterhorn for sure. And that, I mean, that sounds big, Riley. You it's you record a- stuff. I mean, it sounds huge. Uh, he's an Idlewild. I can't think of an animal in that region that would make a sound like that. Maybe yeah. a mountain lion. Maybe but, a mountain lion. But not that. Not that deep bellowing no. howl like that. No. Bryce, that sounds to me like stuff that you guys have been capturing this season on Expedition Bigfoot, quite honestly. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Look, uh, God, whenever you can hear stuff like that, I'm like wondering, did he say he recorded it on his phone? Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I scrambled for my phone and began using the audio recorder on it. So smart. Imagine if you could get that and play it in one of those big boom boxes. Well, that's exactly that's exactly what we do. We take vocalizations from from, you know, uh, people who get it out in the field like like Morgan. And then if the audio is clear enough and, you know, has potential. Yeah, you could blast something like that if you're out in that area and hope to get something back, you know. If something responds to that, if you blast that out over a speaker and you're like in some undisclosed location and nobody knows you're there, you might have a problem, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying you're going to do it. Yeah, most definitely. Absolutely. So so what would you say to Morgan and his wife? Congratulations, you guys, uh, for capturing this Bigfoot audio and for your fifth anniversary. What would you say to someone who comes up, plays you this and goes, "What what do you think? Is this legit? Uh, yeah, it sounds good to me. It sounded like, you know, uh, what people purport to be Bigfoot, a howl, those right. whoops. Uh, I'll be listening to it. I'm, I'm with you, Morgan. I'll probably have to listen to it about a dozen or two dozen more times, yeah. but I'm going to run some processing on that too. Right. Yeah. Cool. So what you guys hear in the episode will have been, uh, a bit of a scrubbed version of that to try to isolate the house. Yeah, right. And more. maybe we can send it back to Morgan and his, his I, wife as a little anniversary gift. Yes, that's Perfect. our anniversary gift to you guys is <laughs> some treated Bigfoot house that you captured that you can will always remind you of your Pro- love. Produced by super producer Riley himself. Yes, that's mm. our thank you for sending us yeah. that. I mean, that's another piece of the puzzle, right? That's what we always talk about. It's Amen. like these little bits of evidence here and there. So Absolutely. Yeah. Good on it, you, Morgan. More of the original stuff like that that we can get in. That's what I want the L files to be. Like, send us your weirdest stuff, please. If you have something you want to send in to us, please write us, uh, write to us at Bigfoot Collectors Club at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we couldn't have Bigfoot Collectors Club, yeah. you know, 200 without a little message. From no. Maybe he's out there congratulating us. Absolutely. And look, when I said don't send me big stuff, Bigfoot stuff, I meant like big blankets that say like hide and seek oh. champion. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I got enough oh blankets that say hide and seek oh, champion. Yes. That's all I'm saying. No no more socks. You could send oh me your evidence. God, yeah, I, I I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but I had to tell my family is like, stop giving me things shaped like guitars. <laughs> the only thing I like shaped like guitars is a guitar. Right. right. Other than that, please, no. no more. What about a cookie shaped like a guitar? Nope. Nope. Just give me a circular cookie. Oh, <laughs> I'd take that guitar cookie, Riley's family. Um, okay, before we move on and get into part three, I felt like we needed you. You were talking about validation earlier, Bryce. Mm-hmm. We're going to get some more here. I thought it would be fun to, to just reflect 
on uh, the last 200 episodes of the show and talk about a few of our favorite memories. I put the feelers out to the Club Scouts out there over Instagram, and I got a lot of responses. I asked for people to... uh, you know, give us their favorite moment or episode. So I'm just going to scroll through here and, and just grab a couple of these to read. Um, a lot of stuff about Roswell, first of all. A lot of mm. people said they really enjoyed. What a great series that Yeah, was. the Roswell. Uh, <laughs> just a we were, great. Yeah, we were great. We really good. We were really good. Kay Shonda, for example, says the Roswell Deep Dive turned me into a patron. Really loved that one. Nice. Um we got uh here this was a fun one that was a bit of a throwback and a surprise to me mark bav wrote solway spaceman is oh, cool yeah. that was an early episode yeah. Plus, it's got Jen Kirkman, or or Ugh. he says anything about Dogman he's yeah, into. Right. Great. There's yeah. been a couple mentions of the strange, 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 strange. Oh. That's another <laughs> big hit. For a Taco the Town, KC, great Sh- friend of the show. Yes, shout out W. Dave Keith. That's right. Says, uh, gotta be the time Bryce malfunctioned. Strange, 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 strange. <laughs> opening was, opening oh. the door to the smash hit, completely absorbed by the strange. <laughs> and then he also says the Roswell episodes were top-notch, too. Happy 200th. That's great. That's a Men in Black thing, right? Strange, 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 yeah. strange. Very strange. much so. Yeah, so like an, a, a man in black, like slowly malfunctioning. Uh, Stephen Hosh, or Steve Hosh, uh, wrote, Not even close, in my opinion. It's the first Monster Showdown episode where Liquored Up E.T. comes out on top. More laughs per minute than any in that episode than any other. And honestly, I laugh my ass off a lot at your ridiculous banter. But there was just something special about that Monster Showdown one. Carry on, fellas. Now, technically, that was another side episode. Yeah. But I'll allow it because we unlocked it for a while. It was that good. On the yeah. regular show. Yeah. I remember um, I played that for my son who was like 10 at 10 and he's just like you couldn't he could pull, couldn't pull him away he was definitely interested <laughs> it's like what's going on just slowly corrupting his totally. brain that was so much fun uh, yeah i remember being on a high after recording that one yeah. and then trying to explain to someone what i'd just done and they were like it's like it, it was like a bracket and it gets really complicated but et he gets drunk and and they were just like what the hell are you that talking was, about that was a surprise one to me as well because that was one where i was just like I'm going to do something fun that wasn't research heavy for the Patreon. Yeah. And that was sort of like, we were like well into the pandemic at that point. It was Halloween time. And I just wanted to like give everyone something fun to do. And I thought, well, this will be a fun, maybe hour long <laughs> conversation and debate. And it it really turned into such, turned into one of my, if not my favorite episode of all time, for yeah, sure. It's, it's a classic. Favorites, yeah. Um, I love this shout out. Uh, hello, C. Travers says anything with Kevin Kirkpatrick in it and the story of the gerbils or lizards, was it, that were dumped slash set free in the canyon always made me laugh and set got free. me binging. Set free. set free. Stoner and weed were not dumped. They were set free. They were liberated. They were. The canyon said... Hey boys, dump on in. Still to this <laughs> day, still to this day, an occasional cricket will try to fucking get into my bedroom and just keep me up all night with that incessant. 
and it just reminds me of how much I hated feeding those little lizards. But, oh, and I'll You're wake not... up. I'll wake up in the middle of the night with like a cup and a fucking You're... cart because I can't kill the thing. You... But I got like I'll pull its antenna to throw it outside. But man, you are not making your case. <laughs> you are working against yourself, so yeah. testifying against yourself you. right now. Oh man, this was a, this is one of was one of my personal favorite moments too. Is uh. uh uh, it's from Midnight's Neon. Bryce using an Amazon review in his research. <laughs> so I liked her funny. point. I thought she it was, was a strong a point. Yeah. Wasn't that was that in Anna Camp's episode yes. as well? Yes, that was another highlight for people. I couldn't remember. Was it in Anna's episode or was the reviewer named Anna? It's all blending together in my memory. Ah, yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> I remember Michael goes. He goes, it's Anna Camp. She's got a really good career going right now. Do something fun like Yeti. And- I said classic. <laughs> classic iconic. Cute. Iconic. I was like, right, do something right. iconic. Fun. We're going to get a lot of people listening uh, to the show. Let's make it a tent pull episode. Reading? Chuck, Z- Chuck Zukowski's 39th parallel, but it was... It was about all about cattle mutilation. 37th parallel. 37th parallel. I don't yeah. think his name is Chuck. Yeah, I, remember, I just opened either. up. With, what do you know about cattle mutilation? <laughs> <laughs> and Michael's in his face just drops. <laughs> I He's like, oh so no. Where are we going? <laughs> I mean, would I change it now? No, of course not. But this is the thing. I try to produce this goddamn show, and I'll be like, okay, let's do something. Let's do this. And you'll be like, okay. And then you'll come and be like, not doing it yet, buddy. I got to do playing no what you'll see uh you need a trickster in a tarot deck. that's right it's true yeah, exactly um here we go and this is a tradition uh uh gold line flyer says honestly any christmas special with betsy or the live show with a funny feeling pod sisters i was at san uh fault uh, fault lake at fan x at Salt Lake City, that yeah, was yeah, that was that, was, a fun that trip. was probably one of my that. Anytime we've traveled together, which we were just starting to do before the pandemic, oh. but when we went to Salt Lake City with the girls, and then we went to Contact, Contact in the, in the Desert, desert. Yeah. Maria Thayer came out and joined us. That was a blast. And even our live shows at the Bigfoot Lodge yes. in LA. Mm-hmm. I hope we mm-hmm. get. To, I hope we get back to that. We were just. I starting think to we talk will. About we I think. I think stuff. it's going to happen yeah, sooner so. rather than later. Everybody. Um, and uh, Goldline also goes on to say all of the love for any Jen Kirkman episode, totally. but also the Flatwoods mm-hmm. Monster episode with Donna Lynn. And we all learned how truly fascinating of a person she is. So many good moments. Love that episode with Donna yep. Lynn. Yeah, because she was super into symbols and stuff. Um, what about you guys? I mean, thank you, everybody who. Yeah, there's so many here. You. I don't want to like keep going. We, I, I really, really appreciate this. Yeah, Loch Ness monster, Inverness, and Craig Ferguson. That was a special moment too. Yeah. That, that was kind of the first time. That was early on, episode 17, where I felt yeah. like we were we recorded for the first time in somebody else's studio, and I felt like Craig was so gracious to be yeah. here. That was I was like, oh, okay, this is getting. Yeah, like, getting we're out really there. doing this. Yeah. yeah, you had to make the case for Nessie in front of Craig yeah. Ferguson. <laughs> I think you had a projector. You did a damn good job. It was pretty it was good. A good. And episode. then he saw Raven Ravens magic that yeah. teleported out of nowhere. Yeah. Who knew? He was like, okay, I can tell you this story that's happening. Yeah. It's a great episode. Go check what it out. What a wild. Yeah. See, there you go. You do this show, and then you find out that like very successful talk show hosts have, have seen Ravens mm. teleport, and sea witches tell them that... Uh, that that they have raven magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that means something. Exactly. Yeah. What about you guys? Anything that we've left off in that list? I mean, for me, it's it's hard to pick like one moment. It's just 
I mean, this sounds corny, but it's like our friendship that's developed over the arc mm. of this whole thing. And just, it's just, this just, and also the community that's been built up around it. Like, I love this show. This is yeah. a really special thing that we've created together. And it's so fun. And it's, it's like, it's a, it's a, a time of my week when we're recording this that I know I'm going to be laughing and having fun and like also learn about some like weird thing. And you guys have also kind of tweaked some of my perspectives and opinions on what reality is. And, um, and then also it's just like, you know, when I sit down to edit the thing, like I, I people have noticed in the past, like I'm just sitting there like laughing as I'm like <laughs> listening back to things and scoring. And it's just like, it's just, it's, it's for me, it's, it's, it's the whole thing that this has become. It's just, uh, I, I'm, I'm really proud of it and I'm really thankful for it. So. Yeah, man. Well said. Uh, I, I totally agree for me. It's like this rabbit hole journey that we've been on with our listeners too. And it's, it's this special conversation that, keeps growing and keeps morphing and it never gets dry and we're always sort of confronting this strange reality that we all live in and and by looking at all these strange things that happen these phenomena i think we're getting we're at least at a cocktail party we'd be able to talk about <laughs> i don't know something fucking interesting i yeah. hope and but, hopefully uh, our <laughs> listeners as well you yeah, know? yeah exactly we've, but we've done this for you guys yeah the only thing we're making cocktail parties weirder <laughs> yeah that's our main goal that, would, that is great <laughs> oh man it's been a, it's been one of the great honors of my lifetime man i love I, you know I, I i think even looking back on 200 i'm like oh my gosh we have sort of this source library of the strange i wanted to i remember uh, i wanted to talk about philip the ghost and i will later on in the show but i remember i googled it and our podcast was one of the first thing that came up and i was like oh my god that's, that's right cool. and, and so that was a fun moment but it's been going on this journey with you guys is it's been great man yeah it's weird Let's because i think you know yeah. four and a half years in and i still feel like we're on the fringes of i like I have nothing but the but the utmost respect for everyone who's really in the field doing this work. I mean, and now in a weird way, Bryce, you are because you mm. have a show where you're doing the the the, the work, like work. looking yeah. for a cryptid. It's morphing, yes. But but you know, like I'm, I think of guys like Ryan Sprague, who hosts you know somewhere in the skies, who's like mm -hmm. really putting his nose to the grindstone writing a couple books, interviewing just week yeah. after week on the pulse of like the UFO stuff. And some of the guests that we've had on the show, um, you know, guys like John Tenney or even Ron Moorhead, like, you know, I still feel like we're sort of sitting on the sidelines of it. Sort of, I kind of see us as sort of the cheerleaders as, of the strange, <laughs> yeah. like, like I, I like, like that. that we're sort of sitting on the edge and being like, Hey, if you just want to sit with us and look at all this weird shit, that's what we're here for. Like that's that's what I want to do with you guys. You know, yep. you should be like, look at this, look at this. This is weird. I don't get this, but it does feel like after four and a half years, you're like, no, we're you know, I do feel like we are contributing in a weird way as well. Yeah. And when I sit down, like I did for the past three weeks, record, you know, researching, then writing, you know, writing yeah. this, you know, between Bryce and I. I think now we'll have had like 35 to 40 pages written on the men in black. A lot of it comes from other sources. But in this episode, I think a lot of it is going to be some more of my own personal stuff and personal ideas. Um, and Bryce, I think you'll you'll pipe in with that as well. But 
you know, I'll sit down for those long days where I'm just writing all day and going, well, what else would I rather, honestly, uh, would I rather be doing with my time? I Otherwise, I wouldn't have had anything on the dock for today. So it's great. It's It, uh, it just makes me feel good. You know, if I got to sit down and write 12 pages of something, I'm glad it's this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's your favorite book report. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew that I could write stuff like this when I was in school. You know, I'd, I wish I knew that, like, writing could be fun. You know, writing an essay could be fun like this stuff is. Yeah. Well, well on that note, let's, let's get into an essay. Man. We're going to get into it. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, it is time. For the conclusion to the saga of the men in black. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Notting Hill, London, early in the 1980s. It was around 11 p.m. on a Sunday evening. UFO researcher Colin Bennett left the cinema, much like Albert K. Bender once did on the fateful night he first encountered the mysterious presence of the Men in Black 30 years earlier. And he made his way home when something strange appeared in the night sky. The story was told to Nick Redfern and recorded in his book, The Real Men in Black, a primary source for this episode. According to Bennett, he saw... A great light in the night sky. The light had a peculiar characteristic. It was so powerful that it had been a searchlight. I would have been seriously eye damaged, but no, despite its size and apparent intensity, the light had a soft, relaxing ambience. Bennett called for his girlfriend, Mary, who lived in the basement flat of the building, to come out and take a look. As she ran up the basement steps to cast her gaze into the light in the night sky, it shape-shifted into the image of a World War II British Lancaster bomber. Colin and Mary watched as the image of this inexplicable relic airplane hovered in the air, stationary and silent, before shifting once again into the form of a more traditional UFO, that of a black triangle. With no further pomp or circumstance, black craft shot off into the night sky at high speeds now you may be listening to this and going obviously a man in black shows up a few days later to intimidate colin and mary right wrong what if i told you that the man in black was already there mary led colin back down into her flat where colin was startled to find a stranger sitting there in a crisp black suit just waiting in her living room. The man, who looked to be in his late 30s, had a somewhat Hemsworthian appearance with long, blonde hair that unfurled at his shoulders. Did, did you say Hemsworthian? Yeah. Hemsworthian, I like yeah. that. Okay. Like, you know, yeah. Liam and uh, Chris Hemsworth. Okay. okay. 
long blonde hair that unfurled at his shoulders, and bronze skin. Apparently, the mysterious man in black, who Colin refers to as Mr. X, had knocked on Mary's door while Colin was still at the movies, claiming that he had dropped by to visit her upstairs neighbor John, who was out, but would shortly return, and would it be okay if he waited with Mary in her apartment? Colin recalls that during the early 1980s, Notting Hill wasn't the posh and whimsical destination it is today. And this stranger, while polite, was no Hugh Grant. Again, we established he's a person who's worth <laughs> This area was a dangerous place at that time, and Colin couldn't understand why Mary would so casually invite a stranger into her home. Now, if you recall part one of The Men in Black... Dr. Bud Hopkins also casually allowed an MIB into his home. Perhaps there's something vampiric about these entities after all. Maybe able to glamour their targets into inviting them in. At any rate, Mary and Colin found themselves telling the man about the strange shape-shifting aircraft that had just been hovering over their heads. To their wonder, the man just sat there calmly, nodding his head soaking in every detail. I got the impression that he knew all about what we had just seen. He received our experience in a far too calm manner for my taste. I got the impression that he was checking out our reactions and that the suit and tie, hair and face were disguises. But disguising whom? Or what? Well, they would never find out. Now, counter to most MIB encounters, the man did not warned them off from sharing their story. He wasn't even intimidated. He simply thanked them. He said he would no longer wait for John and abruptly left. Now, I did think while I was reading this that maybe he was just, uh, maybe he just thought they were crazy. <laughs> this was actually just someone to see just John. someone was there for John. They are like, these, these two kids won't stop talking oh, about God. this weird UFO. They <laughs> so we'll be out of here. As soon as the door closed, Colin jumped up and followed suit. But when he opened the door, the man had seemingly vanished into thin air. In Newton's universe, I should have seen the man in black crossing the yard and going up the basement steps. But no, wasn't there. I asked a gaggle of policemen if they'd seen anyone coming up the basement steps, but they'd seen no one. I do love that this is a British man and you're just playing him like a very casual yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a like choice. guy from, I'll say like... Damn, did I miss like that Atlanta? British beat? Atlanta. I said Atlanta. 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 Right. Atlanta. Right. He's just like a casual man. It's fine, honestly. You know, I spent some time down in the States. Yeah. I don't like okay. all these questions. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I'm perturbed by them. Yeah. I also like that a group of policemen is called a gaggle. gaggle. Yeah, a gaggle of policemen. <laughs> yeah. A gaggle of bobbies. John walked upstairs to his flat on the second floor to feed his cats, and when he was when he was feeding them, he noticed something weird. His watch it only read eleven oh five, about twenty minutes behind actual time. Colin did some juggling, a little mental jujitsu. He did the math, and he couldn't square up for his missing time. He spoke with their neighbor, John, the next day, and he told them that flat out, no, he wasn't expecting anyone with bronze skin and blonde hair and a crisp black suit that previous night. A little, uh, 
weird hijinks going on. So who could Mr. X be? A government agent? A vampire? An alien visitor? One of the occupants of the craft Colin and Mary had seen? Perhaps an interdimensional entity? This story represents the many puzzling aspects of the nature of the men in black and their connections to UFOs, which is why it's the perfect prologue for this week's concluding chapter of the Men in Black Saga, Part 3, The Many Faces of the Men in Black. Who could these beings be? We're going to look into some popular theories and perhaps present a few ourselves. And when we're done, we're going to ask Riley what he thinks could be the truth behind the men in black. Oh boy. So when we left off in part two, we had just finished taking a look at some of the strange cases involving the men in black that began with Albert Bender's visitation by three men in black suits and continued to plague UFO researchers throughout the 1950s, 60s, and 70s up to more recent times. And also, Bryce presented us with a surprise story about butt stuff. Yep. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> I think it's pertinent to this case. That was a welcome bonus. Yeah. Thank you. By the 1990s, even as MIB encounters continued, the phenomenon be- began to crystallize in pop culture. Suddenly, the men in black were becoming a household name, appearing in various forms in TV and film projects like Twin Peaks X-Files, The Matrix, and obviously the huge Hollywood blockbuster franchise, Men in Black. That's right. What had once been a terrifying, paranoia-inducing, hallucinogenic encounter in an attic apartment in Connecticut was suddenly a global icon. That's how these things morph, man. Look at the church Scientology. All right, Uncle Bryce, let's talk. Go on. (laughs) A little occult magic in the desert, and these things morph and take on a life of their own, man. The next thing you know, you got real estate and locations in Zhangwan Zoo. Real money, baby. We're talking money. money. Multi multi billion dollar tax shelter, you know? This thing, this Men in Black thing has morphed. It's a Hollywood franchise, It's it's a name. Yeah. Well,. If the intent of the Men in Black was to materialize into our dimension from realms unknown, then Bryce, I would say by the late (laughs) 90s, they had accomplished their mission. And that might be exactly what their agenda was. The Men in Black could be the physical manifestation or thought form of an idea or concept, a living, breathing meme clawing its way into existence first through the paranoid thoughts of early sorcerists, through and then through the second half of the 20th century, until finally cementing itself as a fully formed three-dimensional concept, widely and immediately recognized by millions of people around the world. And yeah, I didn't even think about this while I set off on this little rant mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Also making some money. Yeah, Ideas, after all, need to be shared to survive. What must an idea do to ensure its, its existence? Share itself with as many people as possible, of course. And what better way to ferment yourself into existence than evolve into a hit movie franchise? That's what I'm talking Hell, about. Hell, as I wrote this, I, as I'm writing this, here's me in real time. As I write this, I just realized that Chris Hemsworth actually ended up playing one of the men in black <laughs> in the fourth movie. <clears throat> That's right. 
Maybe Colin Bennett's tanned, blonde-haired MIB took that form because that's what it was trying to become. You're working in reverse. A movie wow. star. Yes. yes. Wow. Right? Yes. I did. I As I was writing this, I was like, am I going off in a weird <laughs> rant here? And then I was like, holy shit, Chris Hemsworth played an MIB. Still I might. Yeah. I might be onto something here. Now, I do know this sounds a little unhinged, even for this podcast, but bear, just bear with me. There is some scientific theory that could support something like this. Okay. Let's think about memes for a moment. Now, uh, according to its definition in Wikipedia, a meme is an idea, behavior, or style that spreads by means of Im- imitation from person to person within a culture and often carries symbolic meaning representing a particular phenomenon or theme. A meme acts as a unit for carrying cultural ideas, symbols, or practices that can be transmitted from one mind to another through writing, speech, gestures, rituals, or other imitable phenomena with a mimicked theme. So the concept of memes was first introduced by Richard Dawkins in his 1976 book on evolution, The Selfish Gene. We all know what an internet meme is which is actually a very strong visual representation for how the kind of meme Dawkins is talking about, a unit of cultural evolution, gets passed around. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing here, but like genes, memes are fighting their own battle of the survival of the fittest. And as memes progress and evolve, they take shape in our reality and shape our culture and therefore affect the way we as humans evolve. I think of men in black and other unexplained phenomena in a similar way. A meme springing out of the ethereal realms through various means and taking shape in our reality over time to the point where they might become what we consider to be real. In the men in black's case, I think there are multiple possible explanations, and all of those explanations are funneling from separate sources into a sort of MIB supermold that makes up a definitive man in black. Something that has been trying to physically manifest itself in our world, but much like Bryce's want to do, I am getting ahead of myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't do that. I want to divide MIB encounters into two categories. <laughs> okay. These two columns make up the overall Men in Black experience. Any of these possible explanations may account for one or some of the eyewitness encounters, but certainly not one type could explain all types of encounters. Great. Now, I want to. I just want to pause here and look to Riley. Am I making any sense here? Yeah. Okay. It's the, it's the uh, square is a rectangle situation. Right. But it, just in terms of this idea of, like, that the, the, the MIB might be some sort of, like, growing thought form that's manifesting itself in our reality well i think you get into the tulpa thing a lot yes we are yeah you 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 like that theory and that seems like where you're you're kind of angling with this and i i like what you said that like uh you know these types you're going to talk about like they could explain some of the encounters but not necessarily all of the encounters and that's that's where I tend to go with this so far is that maybe it's multiple things happening that kind of lump together. That all add up larger to phenomenon. the phenomenon. Right, yeah. right. But I like this idea of a, a thought being clawing its way into reality. That's that's cool. That's interesting. So we're going to get into this. Um, okay, so just as as you said, Riley, for example, just because there may have been real government men investigating someone 
like Bender, it doesn't mean that all MIB encounters are government men. Right. So the two categories for me are as follows. And uh, just, you know, number one, men in black. Real world beings, actual men in black or real world explainable phenomena, which includes hoaxes or hallucinations. And also like PSYOP kind yeah, of stuff. And PSYOP stuff when yeah, include, MK include. Ultra kind of vibes. So I'm sort of taking the terms men in black and MIB and separating them a little bit. So the second category would be MIBs, like ETs or ghosts. These are paranormal entities, mentities, mentities. that have otherworldly or off-world explanations, maybe from another planet or a parallel dimension. Okay. I like it. All of these add up to create the overall manifestation of the men in black in our culture. So let's look at category one, men in black, some possible real world explanations. Obviously, they're the G-men. Government agents from the FBI or CIA or some other clandestine government collective. I think we covered enough in parts one and two to show that for sure, especially during the early days of flying saucers, the government sent agents out into the field to talk to UFO eyewitnesses and discourage them from speaking out, possibly in an attempt to squash a growing counterculture that questioned government authority and was in their minds potentially vulnerable to Russian influence and or for national security reasons, i.e. they didn't want civilians like Albert K. Bender looking into secret military aircraft or spreading the notion that indeed something unknown was in U.S. airspace and our military couldn't do a damn thing about it. Yep, that makes sense. Then there were the civilian researchers in black, or as I'm going to call them, CRBs. CRBs were folks like Bender who were looking into the UFO phenomenon on their own time and possibly showed up on people's doorsteps unannounced, behaving awkwardly or antisocially, and were mistaken for important men or government agents. Can I save that spider I see in your corner? <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm here on UFO business, but um, man. He, that, he wanted my son's Halloween decorations. Yeah, definitely awkward UFO nerds yes. could account for a yeah. good portion of it. Exactly, this. Riley. In other words, we have some nerds to blame. Yeah. I'm going to wear my church suit. <laughs> Consider the formation of NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, established in 1956 by physicist Thomas Townsend Brown, the same year Gray Barker published They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Essentially, the group consisted of scientifically-minded civilians who believed that UFOs came from alien planets. Often, they were doing boots-on-the-ground work. They'd show up to a contactee's house, flash a card, sound official, and tell them to keep quiet about it because they wanted the story as an exclusive scoop. It likely caused a lot of confusion about their affiliation with the government or the men in black. I mean, just think about it. This idea of, like, I'm from the National Investigations Committee. It sounds, if you were, you know, confused as to what was happening, you might be like, I think they were from the government. I don't know. Right, yeah. While we're also on this topic of uh, independent researchers, I, I think I need to admit to our listeners that 
I bought the wrong copy of Space Review. And uh, it turns out I I got a very interesting zine from the 60s that is a hard science zine. (laughs) I'm holding it now. It's so cool. Can I open it? Yeah, yeah, pull it out. This is pretty cool. We thought for a second Riley had purchased Albert Bender's first primary Space Review zine. Which you can find like through the National Library Network. And we've had people send us. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah. The appearance of Venus. <laughs> I, this, got, I got myself a, an independent oh science scene from the 60s. This that is, is really just, cool. first of all, the drawing is pretty cool on the cover. It's pretty great. But it's a space rock. I'm not never, disappointed in I've it. I've never seen smaller typeface right. crammed into. <laughs> that, that's when I was like, I opened it up and I was like, oh, this is the work of a crazy person. Right, right. With and handwritten that, mathematics, Hubble's Law, and uh, yeah. Matter creation. But I started reading it and I was like, oh no, this is the work of a very smart person. <laughs> what if we read this and we all became geniuses? Oh, I don't think it works like that. <laughs> it does smell a You'd little be the bit first. like Grandma's basement. Yeah. Anyway, so sorry to disappoint It could be everyone. a magic, you know, space maybe, scene. Maybe. God. I got the wrong space review, though. I, well, I tried. Well done. I tried. Good forward stepping, though, Riley. Yeah, it's Good still on you, something man. for the library. <laughs> You know, it's also not hard to admit the very real possibility that some of the key men in black encounters of legend and lore were in fact hoaxes perpetrated by guys like Gray Barker, perhaps even perpetrated on legendary investigators like John Keel by guys like Barker. Yeah, I even found in The Real Men in Black by Redfern that after I'd said it, someone else had also theorized that Barker may have sent, I can't remember who it is off the top of my head, had Mm. sent people down there to screw with with Keel when he was in Point Pleasant, Mm -hmm. which really makes me think that some of the people that showed up to talk to Mary Heyer were like Barker's buddies just playing a prank totally and what better way to to stymie someone's investigation or get some fresh ink and print you got all you got to do is throw on an ill-fitting black suit dark hat and glasses and go visit a recent ufo witness and act like a a robot or something show me your ufo oh 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 Oh. pictures (laughs) wow Saucy, yeah, saucer, saucer, <laughs> the saucy saucerist. Show me your saucer film. The saucy saucerist is a great. Uh, that's like a memoir title, yeah. right there. It's Bryce's <laughs> Bryce's secret memoir. Um, Bryce, I do say though, even so, it's not hard to admit that these could be hoaxes. I do think it takes a big man to admit that, and I'm proud of you. Yeah, I know you gotta, you gotta. I mean, look, they can't all be. You know, but it only takes one real. It only right. takes one to be real. That's right. To make it real, that it is only the takes one white crow for them all not to be black. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Let's move on. Uh, MIB authority Alan Greenfield seems to agree. Keel got the facts a lot better than Barker on cases they were both looking at, but Keel was far more credulous and also more easily fooled because. In a sense, he was an out, he was outside of it all. Keel wasn't a ufologist. You see, he was an observer of ufology, and that's a very different thing. As for Barker, he was part of the phenomenon. That's what a lot of people miss when they ask, was he a hoaxer? Yeah, he was a hoaxer at times. Was he a fraud? No, absolutely not. He was not a fraud. He was uh, a teller of folk tales. Which can also be very truthful. And to know Gray was to know the phenomenon. He told about realities, but he told him his stories. That was the culture he lived in. He's kind of like us. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Had a frog caught my throat. Gray Barker, I think, was kind of like us. Like, he 
He did believe in the stuff he wanted, but he wasn't afraid of taking artistic liberty. Now, I think we take much less artistic liberty unless it comes to like accents, but like <laughs> but I think like I think he was I think he was a storyteller first and a ufologist second, but it was a hard second, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he was willing I think Barker was willing to bend the facts, as they say Keel was as well, to get the point across or what they thought the truth would be. Well, and to keep an open mind about all this stuff, because I think a lot of investigator, investigators would just sort of follow one lead until the till the end of the Earth. And, you know, usually it didn't pan out with, like, space Martians from Mars. Yeah. Right. You know, the, and so uh, I think a lot of investigators were disappointed, but... So you had to sort of keep it fresh and keep it, you know, entertaining. Yeah, for I think lack Barker was also word. trying to make a buck too. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think up a he's bit. selling a book, sure. you know. So he's like, I got to fill in some of the gaps here with my imagination, and if I'm, I'm gonna, if maybe it involves me like egging on my friends a little bit, or maybe torturing Albert Bender a little bit mm. for the sake of art, then I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, not to justify hoaxing in any way, but it is an abstract topic. That requires somewhat of an abstract approach, right? Like right. It's not a hard science, so it can't really be approached entirely as a hard science because, like you said, it's like you follow like one specific lead, and it's not necessarily going to give you the whole picture. Well, well I think the- some of the hoaxes too that like Barker would do was I think it might have been with Jim Mosley, I can't remember, but there's a story of them like driving down the road and they hang a flying saucer toy buy you know a fish line out the window and they film it and it looks like an actual flying saucer on the film right and it's i think it's two guys who actually believe that the saucer phenomenon is real and they're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes but they're they're trying to you know it's technically a hoax they're like look we filmed a ufo they're having a laugh about it but they also believe in ufos so they're in the hoax they're trying to spread the memeology of ufos in a way you right. know yeah <clears throat> yeah and that very much is like what meme culture is like it's like it's a lot of joking around and absurdism but there's at at the at the core of meme culture there's like some sort of fundamental ideas about the modern world right. that people are trying to get across. Yeah, I guess you look at those those men in black encounters where sort of odd or supernatural things seem to occur like a like an instant vanishing or or making something materialize or even dematerialize in front of your right. eyes sort of inflicting this 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 dread or paranoia um I'm getting tangled. I'm distracted by watching Michael struggle to get a mic capable. I can show she's my. But then on the other side of that coin too, it wouldn't be really too hard to imitate a Men in Black encounter, right? I mean, you don't don't have to like levitate, is what I'm saying. No, you you just got to show up at someone's doorstep and act weird. Yeah, and it's even better if you do it in the middle of things that are actually happening. Like Mm. these people did actually see UFOs. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when Bryce showed up. In character in his suit, like <laughs> I felt a little afraid tonight here at the club tonight here at the clubhouse, <laughs> and I was like, I knew it was Bryce. I knew he was showing up in a suit. I knew we were doing an MIB thing, yeah. and even just just the way he was behaving and the way he was dressed, I was like, Ugh, it like but, threw me a little bit. But this Walker, is what I mean. We're manifesting the man in black, our the men in black ourselves yeah, right but, now. Well, the, it, that's that's another thing for discussion. But imagine if it was 
a real tentacle of the phenomenon is come at your doorstep in a physical formation of a walking, talking something that barged its way into your house and is already inside your head about the strange thing you saw. And this accompanies it and it wants the evidence. and, And now you're just sort of like... It's in my home. What does it want with me? And but Bryce, scary. what if it did and it is right now with us dressed as men in black? What? Why does it no, but why does it not why does it have to be the spooky version of the real phenomenon? Why can't it just be this is what I mean, the meme and I wrote this before we even decided to do this. What if it's the meme right now manifesting in th- in reality through us? Sure, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I'm just offering an alternative as as if the if this thing is a is is some sort of outreach of the UFO phenomenon. This right. this and and it comes to your doorstep and it's very real. It's very supernatural. It's otherworldly, and it's and it's. Uh, I can only imagine how terrifying that would be. Right. Truly. No, I get that. I get what you're saying, but I'm saying maybe it doesn't need to be that complicated. Mm. Maybe it did show up in the form of us Making in up. his house tonight. Sure. And this is it. It's speaking through the podcast right now, getting its message across sure. through us. And it doesn't need to be a creepy, scary thing. Well, you're making it creepy and scary now. <laughs> you know uh, what I mean? I do. I do. We're Let, channeling it. Yes. No. There's no doubt about it. We're if 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 you're if the meme theory thing is correct, then we're you know keeping it alive as as uh, just talking about it. But now let's let's just explore something else. What about hallucinations? Right. So maybe people seeing things. It should be noted that Redfern does a laudable job in his book, The Real Men in Black, at providing us with a psychological snapshot inside Albert Bender's mind with the recurring migraines he suffered from along with his hypochondria and you know let's not forget about the spider room in his stepdad's attic where he spent all How of his time we forget the chamber of horrors no one can forget I mean the this guy's a loner in a and a weirdo uh, by any and all means and I mean that in a great sense I want a spider room but back to the point as Redford explains Many of the symptoms that affected Bender are quite explainable as something far more down-to-earth than the men in black, epilepsy. And the phenomenon of single partial seizures, also known as Jacksonian epilepsy, excuse me, which can result in the sufferer experiencing mild to moderate hallucinations, confusion, and fear, lightheadedness, but not outright unconsciousness, and strong imaginary odors in the immediate vicinity. Some of those affected by such seizures have reported odors resembling burning rubber and sulfur, exactly as Albert Bender reported. Yeah, so what if it's this Jacksonian epilepsy? Maybe that's what Bender suffered from. Honestly, quite possibly, if he was spending a lot of time by himself... Didn't have a lot of people Check. around him. Check. You know, um, had a, not getting laid. We don't really know Check. what his ex- not getting laid. We don't really know what his relationship to his stepfather is. Mm-hmm. It's possible that he could have been gone undiagnosed with something 
or a number of somethings. Mm. Um, also, I do want to say that just because you're like a horror fan and you decorate your apartment as a, you know, chamber of horrors doesn't mean that you're a weirdo. I just think <laughs> I just think you're an early version of a horror movie nerd. But um, the dude was definitely lonely, and I could see him going undiagnosed with something. But you know, yes, we can only spec- about, we can yeah, only speculate. Only speculate, absolutely. Um, and he did live to be pretty old, and I don't know if he was ever diagnosed with anything. Yeah, I know, but we're going to look at everything so, yeah, that, no, no, so no. that our listeners can I'm just sort covering of the bases here totally. to be like, we're not trying to prescribe anybody Absolutely. or diagnose anybody. Absolutely. You know, for a guy like me, you might ask, but Bryce, what about all that paranormal activity that seemed to accompany Bender? Well, apparently, a parapsychologist... Uh, which I wrote down is also a great song. Apparently, a parapsychologist. Anyway, <laughs> apparently, a parapsychologist named apparently William. a parapsychologist <laughs> just appeared. That's like in front of my pants. Morris that song or something, right? You get the gist. Well, apparently, <laughs> that's good. Apparently, a parapsychologist named William Roll introduced the term recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis or RSPK. Uh, from the real men in black quote roll came to believe that repeated neuronal discharges resulting in epileptic symptoms might actually provoke rspk which in turn could lead the patient to inadvertently generate poltergeist activity in his or her own immediate vicinity so this is coming from a Apparently a parapsychologist. Apparently what do you guys think of this idea of recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis? Could this be an explanation for why uh, contactees and experiencers also accompany paranormal activity? Poltergeist activity? Well, I mean, this is the whole thing behind poltergeist activity, right? They say that it's caused by stress generated, or, right. you know, generated by someone, usually an adolescent going through puberty in the house or now, I, I don't drama know or you know or t- trauma or, yeah i don't know i mean well it seems a little convenient but i like it uh, it's a good it's, it's a no good more convenient than saying there's just an angry ghost in the house right <laughs> right yeah i mean i i, I have a, a a dear friend that um is epileptic and she had it you know it started it coming on when she, when she was a kid and she told me about like those early seizures she would have and she would see elves oh shit um, and then she 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 would ask her parents like do, do you not, do you don't see the elves right wow. there and it really like scared her parents and they were trying to figure out you know what was going on here and why like you know yeah. these, these imaginary friends or she and she was like she's really seen this but so she would she would very much see an alternate reality in the space before wow. a seizure and and then oh, so she, sad. What, she, and scary. She's, yeah, she she got through it. Got the right medication. No more seizures. Yeah. She's doing great. She's. I was also thinking about my world, epilep- epileptic dog Phoebe growing up. Where I'm like, oh no! Now what did Phoebe see that she could express to us? Yeah. Dude, there is a hidden world, and our brain can receive it uh, under certain transmissions. Not every day. Not in waking reality. Yeah. Uh, and, and people slip in and out of it all the time. Right. Uh, spontaneously or in altered states of consciousness and drugs, drumming. Uh, you name it, there's probably a hundred different ways to get to the mountaintop, but yeah. happens all the time. People slip past the veil, man. Absolutely. And that's something that she used to talk about, too, is like, you know, in a in an earlier society, like she probably would have been some sort of mystic. Oh, my or God. They would have burned something. her. Yeah. yeah, probably. Or they would have been. She or would have been the Oracle of Delphi. The, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and, you know, but, you know, seizures are very dangerous and traumatic. So yeah. in modern society, we treat them so that 
a person can live their life. But, you know, there was sort of that question. We would talk about it sometimes of like, uh, you know, what are you, you know, were you seeing something that maybe actually is there Mm. that we just can't see? And there's really no solid answer to that question. Crazy. Okay. So speaking of things that might really be there, let's look at category number two. MIBs, some possible otherworldly explanations. Good, now we're talking here. Okay, so aliens. This is the obvious <laughs> one. MIBs seem intrinsically linked to UFOs, and although appear to be human, they can't seem to nail it. They get fascinated by ballpoint pens, move robotically, appear in and out of bright lights, or vanish into thin air. Sometimes in these stories, the Cadillacs or classic cars they drive have even been seen flying, like UFOs. And in at least one particular case, they even drank bleach in front of the person that they came to talk to. Metal. Perhaps MIBs are working for an invading alien race trying to pass as government agents in order to further obscure their agenda. While perhaps the first, uh, this is a, you know, this being a the logical conclusion to jump to, if you're thinking about aliens and MIB, something about it just doesn't add up. With so many other, at least for me, with so many other cases we've looked into where aliens present themselves, they present themselves as alien why would aliens give a fuck and care to disguise themselves this leads me to think that mibs could be a different type of paraphenomenon trying to manifest itself as human when i think of paranormal beings that wear hats i can't help but think about shadow people mm-hmm. before we move on yes now, i think about like the, the, you know those like nature cameras that they disguise as like a turtle, sure, or like or a, duck a panda. decoys, yeah, duck. or it's like maybe they're just like they're just trying to get a little information, and they're like, and I also I love this idea of them being aliens, but like kind of bumbling mm. and like just not I, nailing it. Like I do too, but it doesn't to me. It doesn't make sense because we have so many other stories of like. The Flatwoods monster just emerging from the space wreckage or alien greys abducting. Now, who am I to judge the, you know, needs and wants of aliens? I get it. They're weird, right? They're weird. That's what they are. We right. like but, dressing but, up. But it's I mean, we, we know so many. <laughs> I just feel like, it's, I feel like an alien grey can just get what it wants. It doesn't need to. Right. But it's because it, it because it doesn't need anything. You know, it's, it's like that thing. It was like, well, let's see what happens when they see a flying saucer and then we show up and ask them about sure. it. Sure. Great. You yeah. know, it's like, no, I, I'm not. I like the idea. That's yes. all I'm saying. No, I listen. Yeah. You don't think I love the idea of an alien of in a suit with some red lipstick? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. That sounds like a... I just for something about it, I'm like I don't I don't know. Right. But the thing that that's not in the book that I kept thinking about were shadow people. I find it strange that there aren't more connections drawn to the Hat Man, the shadow entity that appears during night terrors or stands at the foot of your bed late at night, and uh, an entity that is made up of shadow that is often seen wearing the same kind of fedora or Homburg hat as an MIB. Makes me ask this question, Bryce. Could shadow people and MIBs, both dark, mysterious entities, be one and the same? Some type of interdimensional entity crossing over to our plane of reality? 
Perhaps the shadow form of an MIB is the more energy-efficient way to move about in our world without needing to fully manifest. But what do they want? To that, we should consider the next two possible explanations. Beings that might also take advantage or make use of shadow forms. First, some people think that MIBs are the physical manifestation of demons. Yeah. That might be in, in <laughs> might be uh, manifested or induced while toying in the occult. Never such, rule out demons. Such as Albert K. <laughs> Bender did. <laughs> Certainly, the devil himself has been depicted as a man in black time and time again throughout folklore. Now, I'm not a subscriber to this particular train of thought personally. I think a lot of occult stuff and paranormal things get labeled with demonic or satanic to keep good Christian sheep straying too far from the flock. But I am certainly open to the idea of malevolent energy and even entities zipping around out there. Shadow people, especially hat men, might be one of those types of malevolent entities. Ray Bocci, an Anglican priest who has studied the MIB phenomenon and links them to demons and occult practices, thinks it's possible these dark beings appear like government agents because they were mining the images from Albert K. Bender's paranoid thoughts. Sure. Going, oh, okay, this is what you're scared of. We'll turn into one of these guys. Those demons know what you're scared of, and they're going to use that against you every time. Yeah. It's like clockwork. Yeah. Then there's the cosmic trickster spirit. Could the MIBs be an agent or manifestation of this archetypal trickster? Scholar Chris O'Brien says that tricksters and the trickster is one of the oldest archetypal symbols that recur throughout culture. The trickster's role is to shake things up, to keep humanity and civilization from stagnation. Two, as Nick Redfern puts it, supply anti-structure and novelty within the culture or subculture to move forward and create room for growth, instead of being rigidly stuck in one particular control system. Here's O'Brien on how this interplays with MIBs. We're dealing with individuals. Individuals? <laughs> We're dealing with individuals. Like this, <laughs> We're dealing with individuals that seem to be sinister. But they're not. It's more of a suggestion about something that's sinister. And then the MIB visit seems to lend something sinister to the UFO encounter. The men in black have become almost an archetypal symbol. We're talking about something deeply rooted in our consciousness. I think with the MIB thing, it's an under-investigated and underappreciated element of the trickster phenomenon. So this kind of ties in a bit with what I'm saying about the MIB phenomenon perhaps becoming a self-aware meme that's manifesting itself in our reality. Yeah. So look, man, top three theories. Put it up there. Pretty dang good. I don't know. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the trickster spirit is like, it is truly one of those archetypes that's been around forever. It's like the coyote. And yeah. Indigenous lore and like uh, it, uh, it's present in like you know Greek and Roman mythology and it's uh, it's sort of like it's a universal thing. Yeah. So 
this could be a modern manifestation of just the a same branch idea. of it i think a yeah. lot of i've i've often wondered if the uh, and this kind of ties into stuff that keel would write about too that this sort of other this thing that looks back is sort of this cosmic trickster that uses ufos bigfoot men in black goblins whatever mm. to like they're saying here o'brien saying here keep us from being stagnant as a culture right you know i like we, that idea a lot. like the idea that like the trickster is the one who introduced like fishing novelty nets and technology right. to be like hey keep growing don't get locked into one system of thinking you have to it's the it's the little thing that's nudging the conscious mind along the chain of evolution and right. culture along evolution and development right. like try this try this try this have you thought about this trick have you thought about this life hack have you thought about putting these two things together to make this other thing you know and i like that idea that it, it whether it is actually a sentient being outside of ourselves or it's just the you know the symbolic uh you know, meaning of that voice inside of all of us. It's just and, a part of you know, consciousness. It's a part of yeah. consciousness. Right. But at a certain point, what's the difference? You mm. know what I mean? This is true. Yes, this is true. You know, there is a point in Redfern's book, he recounts an MIB tale as told by uh, Reagan Lee that took place near a hippie commune in the Owens Valley in Eastern California in the 70s. Now, and I bring this up because I think there's a... An interesting point here. As the story goes, two people were driving back to the commune when they saw a huge UFO in the night sky with large white lights that went all around. Well, it got closer to their vehicle, then just zoomed away. They didn't think to report it to anyone. But that didn't seem to phase the men in black because a few days later, they were on the scene asking the witnesses about the UFO they had seen. The funny thing, they were probably the only two people wearing suits within 50 miles of this commune, but things took an even stranger turn when the men in black wanted to know if she or anyone else on the commune had noticed anything different or unusual or unusual about the way the milk from the animal tasted. Now, trusted listeners should recall our stories and conversation in regards to fairies and sour milk. Ladies and gentlemen, John Keel. The fairy lore of the Celtic countries is also filled with tales of men in black. In fact, part of the fairy belief includes fairies who are the size of normal men and who walk around almost unnoticed among humans except for their black clothing. Like their smaller counterparts, they were said to be great mischief makers. Hmm. Yeah, maybe all this talk about something manifest, manifesting itself into our reality is more... So what do you... I mean, what... <laughs> Stop there for a second. I mean, the, could they be part of the fairy thing, right? Just what you were just saying before, yeah. like another manifestation of this other. And it's not just, you know, it's international, man. It's fairies over there in the... It's all the same It's all, it's all the same, same thing. thing, thing. It's all yeah. the same stuff. It's all the stuff. same thing. Yep. That's, what it, that's yeah, the only think, thing that makes any sense to yeah, me Yeah, it's all. all the same kind of weird thing. But yeah, I do think that like fairies also interact with humans much the way that the as a manifestation of the trickster spirit right yeah. sometimes a bit differently but interesting this is all weird <clears throat> stuff guys well i want to talk about the topa we've danced around it and to me this idea of of the topa seems to sort of sum up a lot of what i i think the men in black are 
Um, so let's get into it, yeah. right? Tulpas basically can be traced back to ancient Tibet. It's a term for being or for a being that's manifested into reality solely through the focused imagination of a highly skilled conjurer. Um, I even talked about it in uh, in episode eighty seven, Philip the Imaginary Ghost. Uh, do you guys remember that episode about these uh, paranormal research group out of Toronto? They were like, "Let's test this oh, idea yeah, of a yeah, tulpa," yeah, of and they and they they basically created uh, through you know hours and hours of of engrossed thinking about this character that they wanted to create. So they created this guy Philip, and they gave him a life, and they and they met him at the table, and they conjured him up, and they would ask him questions and. And lo and behold, he sort of came to life and he started answering this group's questions and he took on a personality of his own. Right. But but that's that's what basically the tulpa is. Uh, and uh, let's see here. Another energy... But anyway... Yeah, I think I'll, I'll say the thing that I think about... Obviously, I think it's possible that the men in black are sort of a tulpa that have either been created by Bender or... A collective consciousness but for me where I tend to lean more into it's an it's something else trying to break in as opposed to something within us trying to break out is intent yeah right like I I think when it comes to the tulpa stuff the person who is trying to create a tulpa like the Philip the ghost situation and uh, you know like it is it's it's the user trying to create it and often in these stories they create a tulpa and then the, like much like frankenstein creating his monster for example and then the tulpa gets out of control mm. so it we could argue that we as a culture created the man and the men in black as a tulpa, now they're out there running around, you know, out of control. But I don't think Albert K. Bender was sitting in his attic trying to create these out of his own imagination. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I think this is something from the outside coming through. Mm. And it might have been something that wasn't even self-aware until the 1960s or 1970s, if it is at all self-aware. Yeah. Right. That's why I think it's sort of this thought form that sort of collectively assembled itself into now what we consider to be the iconic, you know, super form of the men in black. Right. But just to turn that on its head, couldn't Atolva also be like something that is inherent to consciousness that wants to make its way out and so that plays out as people wanting to sure. manifest something, but that's actually something that's just like sort of this subconscious universal layer yes. that kind of connects well, us all. And that's the know? thing. It's sort of the as above, so below thing where right. like exactly. consciousness and outer space to me are sort of the same source. Yeah, you know what I mean? Man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. But yeah, Guys, I mean, like, we're getting real esoteric like, in like this a, episode. I like, like a, it. It's like a stony joke, but like, honestly, like, yeah, totally. 100%. Yeah. By the way, I should have told everybody to light light them up if they got it because this <laughs> was this is one the most stoner conversation that we're <laughs> yeah, having. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, there's this theory of uh, of psychic vampires. I thought there was some interesting. Bryce, why don't you just read? <laughs> You're just giving up on the script now and turning into like, yeah, whatever. There's... No, no. Well, it said another. <laughs> This was a yeah another energy feeder one another that energy yeah feeder. that we've already likened to MIB sure. on the series. 
of course, are vampires. Right. Yeah. But instead of fanged, blood-drinking, reanimated corpses, MIB might be more like psi vampires That's or psychic saying. vampires. Psychic vampires. Alan Greenfield, author of Secret Rituals of the Men in Black, seems to think that maybe it isn't so much about intimidating witnesses to keep the secrets of the Uvenots hidden, but more about scaring the shit out of someone and then feeding off the secretions like a psychic vampire. Greenfield explains, Maybe the men in black are generated by fear. I have a hunch that fear may be a major factor in generating a good deal of the phenomenon at UFOs in general. Although there seems to be some separate intelligence involved too. It seems the whole experience causes fear to the witness, and I wonder if generating fear is the entire goal of the experience. If whatever the source of this is derives its energy from literally soaking up human fear, then the stronger the emotion, the stronger the fear. I would say almost certainly the case when men in black tell people not to talk about UFOs is not to silence them. Yeah, I think this is like this is like the shadow entity, the man, the man in the hat man. You know what I mean? Because we often hear that like these things that show up in night terrors are feeding off people's mm. fears. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I you know I, I haven't we haven't really done an episode on psychic vampires, but I yeah. do like the idea that this is a thing that's feeding off your fear and it's sort of in order to survive well, and maybe that's how the thought form manifests itself and because right. it, it that's where it's the most vivid right yeah, yeah and apparently it's pretty terror inducing you know alan greenfield who he, he's a gnostic uh bishop i yep. think but that whole sort of gnostic idea involves this demiurge in other words everything's reversed right like the mm-hmm. snake in the garden of eden is not the bad guy. He's the good guy that brings right. knowledge to mankind. Everything's flipped on its head. Right. And so this other sort of, you know, biblical God is the demiurge. And, and there's all these archons. And these archons are these sort of microscopic aliens that feed off of people's fear and trauma. And they keep us from going back into the garden. You know, and and that's sort of that whole Gnostic thing. It also sounds a lot like the Duros from Richard Shaver's mystery, the Shaver mystery. It does. So I could see Greenfield being attracted to this idea that perhaps these men in black or something like these archons in Manifest. I like like that. That's Mm. yeah, interesting perspective on it. I also, I kind of, I definitely think that about the Garden of Eden story because I'm like. Like the tree of knowledge, it was well, like the greatest. It gift doesn't make in a sense way. as a father of two. I'm like, here's your playroom. You cannot touch that tree. <laughs> well, right yeah, corner. <laughs> right. I you think, see that tree? I you can't touch. I Don't think touch the, it. I you think, know they're gonna touch it. Of course so they you are. Plan it that yeah. way. So wait a minute. The whole time, it's a plot. Yeah. It's a schema. To me, I <laughs> I think it's also about like the problem, the fall of man, and the idea behind the tree of knowledge is once. Adam and Eve, and I'm talking in a parable sense because I don't think they were literal. I mean, that's just my own personal belief. Sure. I think it, but to each I, their own. I, to each their own. I think the idea was before that, when they were living in paradise, mm. it was sort of like like Adam named, no, named all the <laughs> yeah. animals and yeah. blah, 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 yeah. blah. But, but, but without knowledge, there wasn't a sense of the binary. There wasn't me, you, us, them. Black, 
white. And what happened was there was a unity. Yeah. And then once you bit into the tree of knowledge, you started to go, wait a minute, I'm not wearing clothes. I'm naked. That's the first thing that Adam thought, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a difference. He suddenly was aware of there's clothed and unclothed. And he made a judgment of, I should be clothed. I should be ashamed when I'm naked. And from that moment comes the binary system of thought. Dualism. Of black dualism. Yeah. How can and it's be- dualism yeah. that shattered us as as humans. But it's not, don't, it's not supposed to be shattered. It kicks off the whole party, right? right it's like, exactly. it, that's the plan, right? For God, if you know, whatever you want to call it, to experience itself, it needs to manifest in a dualistic manner and get the whole fucking thing started. So but, it enlists its number one helper, the snake in the garden, to, you know, to enter in and, and offer up, you know, perspective. What can, what perspective, knowledge. Exactly, yeah. And once you. That's that's what life then is about as a conscious being is like to exist in duality and then uh, try to return to a sense of unity and like oneness with your surroundings and the universe. And that's like the beauty of being alive and being aware is like having the knowledge of of duality and and experiencing suffering as a conscious being and then trying to transcend and like come back to this sort of sense of oneness with the universe. Yeah, because I think the devil in that, if the devil's the evil person in this story, is the idea of us versus them, me versus you. Right. You know what I mean? And getting stuck in binary thinking, binary dualism. Right. Thinking that we are actually separated from each other when we are all in fact one. Exactly. But not having never known that and not transcending it, like it right. doesn't have meaning. And that's the right. whole, that's what you're saying about mm-hmm. like God experiencing itself. So like it's a necessary evil that if we don't, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like we do have to overcome the du- dual duality. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Totally. You know, to take that thought experiment even one step further, if there was a God to ask of your (laughs) highest angel to uh, create the fall of man, seems like so much of a task. So perhaps he was like, I'll take that task on myself and be the snake. You represent, quote unquote, God, the hairy man in the sky. Now I I feel like. And I will come in and I will kick off this whole fucking party called human experience and existence. And so everything's reversed, you know. Think yeah. of the gatekeepers of guarding that knowledge. To even think like that is sacrilege in so many societies and cultures. But it's a great thought experiment. Looking really around is. right now with all of us in our white shirts and black ties, <laughs> I feel like we're some conservative church group that's having Bible study. Like, weren't we talking about the men in black? <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, oh, back, on back, back on topic. Big ideas, guys. We're going to give you 200 ideas for the 200th episode. Oh, my God. So, I look... In conclusion, ramping up here to yeah. the end, I think it's safe to say that not a single one of these theories can account for all MIB encounters. The phenomenon is just too weird and too widespread. But as it has evolved, the phenomenon has taken on traits of all these things, and it has become more real in our world. Actually, Bryce, I, I'm going to start talking about something you're sort of getting to the point at here, maybe. <laughs> so. At one point early in the series, I started to wonder if the men in black were a psychic phenomenon Mm. that appeared when the mind was on the brink of insanity, a fail-safe program program that warns the user looking looking into UFOs leads to misery. Stop now. Because, well, we've all seen what peering into the unknown can do to people. 
It certainly seemed to get the best of Albert K. Bender. I still can't rule out that the sudden success of Space Review and the IFSB, which led to Bender's moment in the spotlight, a place, judging from his isolated life, he probably wasn't too comfortable being in, blended with the subject at hand to and, and led to a paranoid mental breakdown. And maybe the men in black were trying to rescue him. Maybe they were there trying to save humanity from itself. But maybe their purpose is much more simple. Maybe it's solely to become real. Maybe the phenomenon is mimicking us just so it can manifest and be known. To simply exist, whether explainable or provable or not. Ask anyone on the street what the men in black is or are, and likely you'll get them to say a movie. But dig a little deeper, and they will tell you. Secret agents working to keep the hidden world of UFOs and aliens from the general public. The meaning is in the method of the delivery, right? Perhaps it doesn't ultimately matter how they are perceived or what they are. They exist to exist. Is it any different from asking what we are and why we're here? Don't humans just exist to exist? Are we really all that different from an idea trying to take form in this world? That's the Men in Black to me. An idea composed of the real and the unreal. An entity composed of part gothic horror, part government conspiracy. Dracula and a Cadillac with DC plates. (laughs) A symbol that might might also be self-aware and able to manifest in our world. If only for a fleeting moment like us and like Dracula working for immortality by cementing itself in our collective culture. One conclusion I've come to while researching the phenomenon is that despite warnings of men like Bishop, uh, Bishop Bocci or Brad Steiger who tell us the men in black are something to fear. I don't think that's true. I'm comforted by the words of gray Barker who wrote in a letter to John Keel There's a method which I have used which has kept me relatively unbothered by the MIB syndrome. If the reader is ever confronted by one of these strange people, don't respond in fear. Make some sort of joke. If you throw off their programming, they will be short-circuited, so to speak, and will probably run screaming into the night or fade out like a motion picture would do. And with that, dear listener, we conclude the saga of the men in black. Very good. Very good, (laughs) sir. UFO. Oh! 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 Sassy Sorceress. So, Riley, (laughs) we gotta ask you, what the hell was that? What are the men in black? Okay. Um... I don't know, guys. By I, the way, did that did that land? I mean, like I, I've been fucking fine. Typing. I mean, I mean, that's for our listeners to decide. Truly. Well, that's not and promising. They, they will let us know. I, I mean, to me, it did. Yeah. And like to me, what I take away from this multi-part series is that it is a multi-layered phenomenon that is like is part. It's, some of this has to be psyops to me. It like, yes, has absolutely. To be, the CIA specifically say that in this episode, but yeah, I yeah, think, I think people fucking with people for sure. There's definitely some of that going on, and then some of it 
definitely feels like it's directly related to the saucer phenomenon. Like whatever that is, mm. I don't feel comfortable saying yeah. that I think that is one thing or another. I tend to end up in this kind of place that this is this whole thing is like kind of a manifestation of our universal subconscious and our like deeper connection to reality. But then sometimes I'm like, or is it just interdimensional time travelers? Mm-hmm. Or, or time is- travelers was one that we did not get into, but there are theories that men in black are we're seeing time travelers who are coming back and fighting with other time travelers constantly to oh, the old like time loop that never time ends. loop and it never time ends. And yeah. they're all like, You fucked this up and now there's Bigfoot. Well we fixed Bigfoot, but now there's right, you know, UFOs or dinosaurs and well, they're doing which a could be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, come back and fix this now. We brought um, back a pen. <laughs> and then yeah, I mean part of it is just so weird I, the whole thing about like them being like distracted by the pen like you said or like the spoon or like how like they're really easy to like short circuit like does kind of feel like these sort of like almost like drone creatures like they're like and that, mm-hmm. like that thing i was saying earlier about like they're like you know like studying human reactions but they're like not they didn't it's like that that panda cam that like yeah. looks like janky, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and the other pandas are like, oh, I don't know about don't this think, guy. Something's mm. wrong with Herbert. Yeah, exactly. So like, maybe it is that. Like, if there is this sort of like alien presence that is like interested in us for some reason or another, like maybe these are these sort of like little study cameras that that come in and interact with people after they've seen it. And so I'm open to that too. And then I'm open to this idea that they are this sort of more abstract uh, manifestation of like this this sort of meme theory that you've been getting at in, in this episode I and I I think the truth to it has to be all of the above right like there has to be some layering here of, yeah. of what this is I don't think there's like any easy answer that we just put a bow on it and it's like oh well they're you know alien alien government agents that have been working with the administration yeah like, it's just like that doesn't maybe some of them are but that's why I think this is a good subject because I do think it reflects what might be going on with all the other phenomenon as well. You know what I mean? Like some Bigfoot are hairy hominids that are relic hominids that are flesh and blood. Others might be tulpas. Others might be from other dimensions. Mm. Others might be working with the governments. Others, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like same with UFOs, same with aliens. You know, I don't know. It's, I think there's a presence on earth and I like this term, the other, And I think the other has its greatest hits. And its greatest hits have been added to for centuries by people, by paranoia, by high state emotion. And those greatest hits are the wild man of the woods. Mm -hmm. They're this circular craft that levitates and moves effortlessly through the sky. They're this fear-causing, paranoia, government agent there to take your secrets away and shut you up for good. And and these are the other's greatest hits, greatest hits which, which have, you know, accumulated the most power and can yeah. play over and over again anytime, anywhere. Um, and, and it manifests in different uh, guises in different places, but when people keep adding to it, it keeps growing and getting stronger, and and uh, and it changes over time. I mean, it's it's in flux. It's constantly maneuvering and getting new information and representing itself. And 
you know, it has its feelers out on, on human society, you know, and it's shaping us, it's prodding us, it's moving us to something. It yeah. seems to want us out in space somehow. It seems to want us to become a, a spacefaring civilization. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. No, I, I'm on board with that. And I, that is something I can really wrap my head around is like some like highly advanced species that has become basically like pure energy thought Mm. and then can now interact with like us who are a very primitive society on that scale yeah to try to like nudge us along and it's doing that that's the trickster that's the trickster thousands and millions of planets all across the universe and and look how fast we're culminating into this rise of technology into the i mean it's you know that old penny that goes down the funnel wishing well until until the very end we're there yeah. man yeah we're almost at the point of like blasting off this this placenta planet for good you know and once we do maybe then we can really start interfacing with what's been interfacing with us for for eons you exactly know? yeah i do feel like i mean the universe is so vast that like and so old that like why why wouldn't there be sort of like a pure no, thought? no it, it wants being. the human species out there exploring representing maybe that's why you get so many of those like apocalyptic scenarios that are visited on encounters like hey the time is going to come yeah. you know you're going to leave the planet you know and people are being taken to mars or under antarctica you know they're always being taken off planet or you know they're this other might be getting us ready for that moment you yeah know? we're I, in metamorphosis like the butterfly we're in pupa stage yeah you know but i also tend to think that like like the you know the the monarch butterfly is like we are one of like so many oh right and so it's like not actually that important <laughs> right. to this thing if we make it or not oh totally it's sort of up to us yeah. but it's like nudging us along it's part of the process but like i don't think that we're like this like the great last hope for the universe no. you know it's like we are just like uh, just inconsequential largely right but all scripture all religions tell us there is a little certain something special about us we do have a little je ne sais quoi this this certain experiment that's taking place <laughs> I mean, on we're it fun. we're yeah, fun they're, they're, there is a certain Fun. curiosity are, yeah. and ingenuity, a playfulness about us. But it does know? seem that that's us comparing to ourselves to other species totally. on the planet. Right. Which we do not know. Right. So. But yeah, even and then if there is a multiverse, too, We're that this whole thing flag. is part of, is like there's yeah. so many versions of this Earth yeah. that are right at this stage, this tipping point, mm. and like we're going to go one way or the other. We're going to become you know move on to become a type two type three civilization and and evolve into pure thought beings that are magnetic waves that travel through the universe or we're going to blow ourselves up and <laughs> yeah. the earth is going to be fine and it's going to try again yeah you know? i think it'll be the former i do like the idea of the mibs and other phenomena just existing for the moment that they're seen and then they don't exist anymore mm, that when yeah. you see that ufo and it vanishes it's vanishing from existence it only like the media clip um, solely for space it's just man. solely for the interaction with yeah. the with the user and then it's gone i like that idea yep. too yeah. you know that it comes into exist and that's why some of these mib are like sort of like malformed and weird because they're like they're not just they're like disposable they're, they're like a quick moment. yeah they're yeah. just a quick hit and then they're back out into the ether yeah wow and that's why they vanish yeah. which is cool and you're like okay then they're really toying with this I mean, this whole thing is just peeling back the mini layered onion, right? It's just like uh, I'm more confused than ever, you guys. Every, yeah, 200 episodes, and now yeah. I'm like, Jesus, I don't know. Yeah, 
All I know, it's been a long month for me so far. <laughs> well, that was I fun, know. man. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Sorry, this one yeah. was, I guess, a little more personal and exploratory in, you know, trying to figure out what this stuff is. But I don't know. It makes you think, you know, we got to start putting some of our ourselves into this you know what i mean yeah i mean you it's know? all a mirror our interaction with the paranormal is a, a mirror into our own reality yeah. and our own consciousness and that's where i've landed it with after 200 episodes of this thing is that less that it's like aliens traveling through space to come look at us and more that it's like some sort of i don't like manifestation of consciousness i feel like i'm yeah. overusing the word consciousness no. but, yeah you know what i mean I know what you mean. The, the the human mind and its potentials are completely unknown and almost unfathomable. I think the question boils down to is there is there an other outside of us and what we've created? Is there a separate other intelligence that's that's interplaying with us? Who knows what we can create or manifest with right. with our unconscious and how that interplays with everything? Yeah. But, or is the other being born all the time in through these ideas of of things? Are mm. we summoning it just through our own thoughts and ideas and constructs? Right. And then at some point they go, "Now I'm fully arrived." You know, it's all comes from the human mind, maybe. Yeah, and it's getting back to that same thing of our church group meeting of duality and oneness. Yep. You know, it's there like it, it the if there is an other, this sort of like godlike entity, like we are also a part of that, so we are the same, even though it is another. Sure, absolutely. If you take a thimble of the ocean, you still got the entire ocean within that thimble. Right. Yeah, and Guys, some microplastic too. We're all gonna get naked after this, right? Oh yeah, baby. All right, cool. <laughs> Um, well, thanks everybody for listening to that. Um, where, uh, guys, I guess I was about to ask, where should we, where can we find us? Should we want to be found like Bigfoot, uh, at Bigfoot Collectors Club on Instagram at Bigfoot Pod on Twitter, although less and less these days. Apologies. Um, what do you guys have to plug for our listeners? Man, Expedition Bigfoot airs Sundays, Travel Channel, Discovery Plus. Fantastic. Uh, I play in a, a bunch of other bands other than Spindrift that I think you might be interested. One of them is called Pom Poms. Uh, that's pom pom at Pom Poms Music on Instagram. Hearing a lot about these pom poms lately. It's a really fun band. Um, I, we've got shows coming up. I, um, we'll be playing a lot and we're doing the music. And there's music videos and there's music out and it's a good time. I also play in a band. I play drums in pom poms. I also play bass in a band called Tommy. That's spelled T O M I, and the Instagram is at the name Tommy. Uh, that's a band I play bass in. I really love that band too. So check out my <laughs> other musical projects. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I have a second podcast. It's called Slate Your Name, where I'm talking to actors about working in Hollywood. Um, check that out. You can start with the episode that Bryce was in, which is also in the feed of uh, BCC on your favorite podcast app. Or just go, honestly, just go over and subscribe or follow to Slate Your Name. You're already on a podcast app. Go check it out. You'll like it. Do it. Great. Do it. All right, guys. Congratulations. 200 episodes. We did it. Thank wow. you guys for listening. Uh, uh, and supporting the show, it means the world yeah, to us. Mm-hmm. Man, love and you guys. I stand by it. We manifested the man in black right here tonight. All three of them. Yeah, and, they're, and you here. know what? They're pretty cool. They're, they're pretty, pretty cool. They're pretty cool. Pretty cool nice. dudes. They're actually pretty cool dudes. You know, they're just weird, but like they're weird about little weird. They're into the weird shit, but, but they're weird in like the way they do. You I like understand and relate to. They're like trying to nudge you along. Yeah, just nudge you along. All right, everybody. Good night. Until next week. Go get with rest.
Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.